Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. Welcome to the show and welcome to Toronto Today. What should the punishment be? What should the punishment be for being a racist, sexist, jerk, lout, other words? I could swear. I probably shouldn't. But you know what I'm talking about. What's the punishment? You don't have to be friends with that person. You don't have to date that person. If your kid does it or your spouse does it, you can hopefully correct them. And if that behavior doesn't correct it, you you got some work to do, right? But what if it's just a rando? Well, this happened in the past week towards a TTC driver. It's not great. We're going to let you hear some of it. But I don't have a great answer as to what the punishment be. It's not 10 years in prison. So we've got to find it's not nothing. So we have to find some middle ground here. I want to get to that story and we will in the next few minutes. Let me start here. There's no new money that came for Toronto yesterday. You could almost do the concept of this story, you know, pretty much 150 days a year. How many weekdays are there in a year? It's 52 weeks, five, four or five shows a week. Let's say there's 230 versions of 235 versions of Toronto today in a calendar year. We can start every show with Toronto got some money from somebody. Toronto didn't get some money from somebody because it's going to be a pretty constant refrain with Toronto looking for cash to pay for things that they expected to have to pay for. There's a big debt for the city right now. You know that one point five billion dollars was the number thrown around, you know, casually. But seriously, that's the serious number during the Toronto mayoral by election this past spring. But yesterday, there was no new money from Toronto for Toronto from the federal government. Why are we looking for money from the feds? Well, various reasons. But in essence, many people are seeking asylum in Toronto. There's good reason that perhaps they're fleeing their country. Maybe their lives are in danger, but they're bringing their lives here with basically all that they can carry. They have flown here. They have bussed here. They have found their way here. Toronto's a pretty cool city to live in. Those of you who live here and have been lifelong Torontonians know that that's true. A lot of people want to be here. We're the apple of a lot of eyes. That's for sure. People spit, People get excited all year long to come from another province or come from another country and visit. But that's not what this is. That's not what this is. And asylum seekers and migrants need immediate shelter, immediate food, immediate clothing in many cases. And what do you do if there's a big family? And they also sometimes need immediate health care. I think that's fair to say. So Toronto says we can't pay those bills on our own. Mark Miller, by the way, is the uh, immigration minister now. There's been a swap as a big cabinet swap for the liberal government. They're kind of having big, big problems in the polls. And he used to handle indigenous affairs, used to handle that file. He's now the federal minister of immigration, refugees and citizenship. And he makes the point, among other things, that he didn't exactly give Toronto any hope that there's new money coming. Well, I didn't walk in there with the check. Uh, I walked in there to look at how uh, Canada's largest city can have uh, can welcome in a humane fashion uh, a bunch of people that in some cases are risking their lives to be here. And just like we asked that question earlier about punishment for going on a racist rampage that's no good and it makes our skin crawl, of course it does. Mark Miller's comments make me wonder, what's humane? What is humane at the end of the day? And how do we welcome refugees and asylum seekers? And what should they get? Should they get what Canadians get who are homeless and down in their luck and struggling right now? Should they get less? Should they get more? These are all pertinent questions right now. Bottom line is the city wants money. And here's the old refrain 
The federal government won't say it. And the province sure isn't going to say it. But they're not going to do this. I've kind of told you this before, but let me reiterate again. Too many smart people, too many connected smart people have told me they're not doing this without Toronto looking internally. It's really frustrating to them. Federal government, certainly Queen's Park. They're really frustrated. Toronto won't shine the mirror on itself and say, where can we not necessarily cut services, but where are we duplicating services? Do we have anything going on with employees that uh, things are being duplicated? Are we paying two cell phone bills for another for an employee? Do people have a computer at home and uh, an extraneous costs from that? When the pandemic started, we said you work from home now and now they've come back to the office, but they've still got their home set up. Is there anything that simple? Are there too many people in one department? Can we spread departments out? What about the contracts? I mean, alone, alone. The city making the World Cup deal that they made with with FIFA to have the games in 2026 without it being seen by a city councilor, without it being seen by the then mayor, John Tory, who's a massive sports fan. That guy will be at any game wearing his scarf, his Raptors jacket, all that stuff. He loves that stuff. And he didn't even see the contract. That tells you there's something dysfunctional working in the city right now. Here's city councilor Alejandro Bravo making the point, And I get it. The city does need money just has to be followed up with the funds that are needed to provide um, shelter and housing support to uh, refugee um, and asylum seekers in, in Toronto. City needs money. City has to provide housing support. And again, it's not just the roof. It's running water. It's food. It's clothes. It's health care. And it's the ability to, to raise them up and so that they can help contribute back to the community that's taking them in. None of that is that strange. It's going to be an interesting scenario as to where that goes. And next week, first in-person meeting. I mean, there hasn't been one yet. That dawned on me yesterday between Mayor Olivia Chow and the Premier Doug Ford. They have not sat down. They have not met. And we're coming up on close to three months, close to three months, about 10 weeks now since the municipal election happened, a by-election happened. And uh, Doug, Mayor, Doug Ford called it a unmitigated disaster. That would happen if Olivia Chow was elected mayor. So interesting. No question about it. A Toronto man was charged with a crimes after a 30 minute racist, misogynistic tirade at a black female TTC bus driver. But what should happen now? OK, this happened. Do we approve of it? Of course not. It's disgusting. If you knew the man, if you were related to the man watching some of the video, You'd be absolutely beside yourself and you'd be embarrassed to admit that you knew him. Maybe the man is embarrassed. Maybe the man is humiliated. Maybe the man will ask for a teachable moment in this particular scenario. But I don't know the legal ramifications of what he can be held for and sentenced for and prosecuted for. Here's some of this rant. Yes, it's bleeped, but no question. It has elements of being disturbing. Yes. No. Listen to me. Listen to me. I was outside the bus at the red light, and I'm not being disorderly. I'm I'm very calm. No, I'm not. I, I wasn't on board. No, 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 no. I was not on board. I was outside, and she refused to get on. To, uh, she refused to let me on the bus. I'm a taxpayer for 25 years. Listen to. Me. Listen to me. Once you start uh, with "I'm a taxpayer," or once that comes out of your mouth, something 
something has kicked off. People don't just walk around saying that randomly. Two 911 calls were made that morning 40 minutes apart, and Toronto police have been told the man ran across the intersection, began punching the bus while yelling and swearing for the driver to open the doors. Maybe he's late. Maybe she has to go. She didn't open the doors. And when some of the passengers got off, the guy got on the bus and kept being aggressive. We'll play you some more of his comments towards the driver. But it's problematic. It's troubling. It's all of that. But I think it's a really curious question to ask. What happens now? What happens now? This guy's 38 years old. Uh, Does he get fired from his job? Does his wife or girlfriend leave him? Is he supposed to go to jail? Does he pay a big fine? Like, I don't know the answer. I know we shouldn't let nothing happen in a case like this, but what ends up being the answer? It's a fair question and an honest one at that. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 640 Toronto. Let's do our 640 right now, which gives you a look at the top six stories that we think you'll be talking about today. Olivia Chow. She's the mayor of Toronto. That's right. And she met yesterday with Mark Miller. He's a little less well-known in Toronto, but I'll tell you who he is. He's a federal liberal MP and the Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship. What's the meeting about? Olivia Chow wants federal money. More federal money. Needs a sustainable revenue source. So they met yesterday and discussed the concept of the federal government helping out with refugees right now miller didn't commit to any money but he wanted to make the visit make the FaceTime, see the facilities where some of toronto's new migrants new residents are being housed including a church number two toronto restaurants this is a fascinating one wallop by an 11 percent decline in business there's new data out there from open table just through the first 10 days of september don't forget three of those days were remarkably hot maybe you didn't feel like going anywhere um, restaurants have air conditioning, but but we're behind. There's no doubt about it. And I think there's two theories here for why Toronto restaurants are behind. One, times are tighter. Maybe there's less disposable income. But let me counter that by saying people are going to concerts and they're going to movies and they're going to Blue Jays games. Like they're they're busy. CNE was packed. So is it just the restaurant experience? And we don't feel we get the same bang for the buck we might have a few years ago. A TTC customer has been arrested after racial abuse was thrown towards a TTC driver and verbalized. I don't know what happens now that we have those answers after six, but you'd be fair if you'd ask what on earth happens now. What are the charges and what provoked this? Here's some of what was said. Do you see one person laughing? Everybody's upset except for this laughing. This joke. Look at her. Yo, she, she didn't let me on the bus at the red light. Well, I'm a taxpayer with a presto card that paid the fare, and she won't let me on at the red light. This It's on camera, bro. So it doesn't matter what she tells you. I have it on camera. It's going on YouTube. So it doesn't matter what she tells you. Yo, you cannot do this and get away with it, buddy. I'm a payer, customer, taxpayer, and I was at the red light, and you stopped the bus. You're getting it. Yo, you're going to get fired. Okay, male customer, female driver. This was at Bathurst and Drury, and he started to punch the bus, began yelling and swearing. Uh, that person has been arrested and is facing several charges. We'll have a lot more on that as the morning continues. CPC MP Michael Chong goes to Washington. Now, he's not moving. He's just the first sitting federal MP to address U.S. Congress. Why? Chinese interference in elections and government business. Here's some of what Chong laid out in front of Republicans and Democrats alike. 
Foreign interference is a serious national security threat to Canada. It threatens our economy, our long-term prosperity, social cohesion, our parliament, and our elections. It requires a suite of measures to combat, including closer cooperation amongst allied democracies. Now, I know you're wondering, did Chong just lay waste to the federal liberal government and their lack of caring at times about Chinese foreign interference? Yes and no. And I'll explain that after six o'clock as well. Did an OPP officer kill a deer with an axe? Well, I don't know. There's a video and it's now being looked at. I don't like the look of the video. It's definitely disturbing. But bosses of that cop are going to look closely at it to determine the what, where and when. This happened near Kenora and the OPP are investigating this particular incident. And number six, another home loss for the Blue Jays. Critical series for Texas against Texas. They lost 6-3. Right now, the Rangers have that wild card spot. A half game ahead, that second wild card spot. And Seattle, who won last night also, and Toronto, tied for that wild card going into game three of a four-game series tonight. And those are the six things you need to know. The four is our four-day forecast. Today, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of 21 seconds, or 21 degrees, as a matter of fact. I'm saying it in 21 seconds. Nothing like yesterday with the rain. Dry day expected, dry morning, dry afternoon. Tonight, partly cloudy and 11. Tomorrow, mainly sunny and 21. And Friday and Saturday look like, um, sorry, kids, this is an oldie reference, carbon copies. Mainly sunny and 21 degrees for both Friday and Saturday. And our zero in is going to be about Olivia Chow. And Olivia Chow met with John Baird last night, the former conservative MP. And this is a bit of a nugget of video and audio. This is Olivia Chow making a television commercial back in 2009. I had never seen this before, about 8 o'clock last night. So it's, it's very much a retro clip of Olivia Chow calling out then uh, the conservative MP John Baird during Stephen Harper's run as government. Chow would have been an opposition leader at the or an opposition member at the time with the NDP. Here's some of what the television commercial had in store in terms of a call out. Hey, John Baird and your buddy Stephen Harper. You gave Toronto the finger. We remember that. Hundreds and hundreds of Torontonians came down to Kensington Market and said to you, that you've screwed Toronto out of our share of funding. Remember, we pay our taxes, that's our money. Yeah, after we protest loudly, you gave us $200 million, but you know what? Our share is really $330 million. So where is the rest of the money? Where is the $120 million? Give it back to us. <laughs> I got two takeaways from that. One, the finger getting screwed. She didn't use that kind of language in the in the uh, mayoral election. Whoa. And, uh, and I, I don't know that that plea was necessarily uh, successful. And she didn't get money yesterday as well. And the second takeaway is um, is clearly John Baird <laughs> made up with her at a point in time because they had a very civil conversation last night about funding and the relationship between the federal government and the city. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. Our next guest, uh, we've had many times on the show over the last few years, and we kind of we do, we don't abuse the privilege of talking to him. We call him when we need him uh, to set things straight, and he does that, and he does so in a new book as well called Unapologetic Leadership, Finding the Moral Courage to Do the Right Thing. He is Dr. Quadro Kira Manting. It is great to have you back on Toronto today. Congrats on the book. Thanks for taking the time. 
Greg, it is always a pleasure, and thank you for the introduction. That uh, you make me sound so majestic. Um, I can make you less majestic as we move along over the next five minutes. <laughs> on on April twelfth, two thousand twenty, you said this. Now I don't have any audio to uh, to sand to sandbag you in that respect. Um, why was it so hard? You like there's the title: finding the moral courage to do the right thing. You are, I am, many of us are are saying things about what happened and what should never happen again that we weren't saying 18 months ago. I, I, I ask myself all the time why I wasn't more brave. What's changed? You know, I just think there was more safety in numbers. I think the, and, and there's also been a bit of a change in culture where we were so fragmented and, and split into during that early stages of the pandemic, like you were either with us or against us. It was all that kind of mentality. There was no room for nuance. And we were seeing, many of us were seeing some of the detrimental impacts that our, our precautions were having, like the lockdowns, the school closures. And a lot of us were fearful for ending your career. I saw many medical professionals, unfortunately, have their careers completely ruined for speaking out on on topics that they felt were needed needed to be highlighted. So it was a very delicate line to to walk, but in our household there was just certain certain areas that just needed to be voiced. Like when it came mm-hmm. to especially our kids, like when the school closures were prolonged, when we were looking at places within our own country that weren't closing schools and had the exact same results or if not better. And we weren't doing the same. We weren't opening up our schools knowing that it was affecting their mental health, knowing that their physical health was being compromised, risk of physical abuse, all these things we were ignoring. I, I, in our household, we, we, we knew we couldn't sit on the side. That's why I struggle with I, I, I was curious how you'd frame it as a parent, because that's why I struggle with the, well, we'll know better next time. And we didn't know what we didn't know. But people like you and many other people said, Here's what we need. If you want us to act like it's an emergency for a couple months and do anything imaginable, we'll do it. We'll do it. But you can't make, you know, uh, putting five-year-olds in masks for eight hours a day the new normal. You can't make closing down businesses the new normal because there has to be trade-offs and there has to be cost-benefit analysis of all this stuff. Now those, now that data is coming in and it, it blows our mind how right some people were about this. I mean, I mean, I heard a segment earlier talking about the rental costs, the cost of living. You have people, yeah. immigrants coming to, to Toronto and they're living on the streets right now. Like, there are consequences to our actions. And it's, it's part of the nature of my job as an ICU doc, Greg, is like when, when somebody comes in with a, a heart problem or a lung problem, you always ask yourself, when, you're in, when you do an intervention, how's that going to affect kidneys how's it going to affect their gut how's it going to affect their brain you have to look at things holistically so when we were making some of these measures as an icu doc you look at a high level you're saying okay how's it going to affect other things and when you look at the potential detrimental impacts of those things it's like okay we need to pivot why don't we just focus on the people that we're seeing that are at risk because this was the other thing that was being clouded was not everyone had the same risk. You and I weren't the same risk as our, our parents or those no. that had uh, obesity or 
uh, metabolic syndrome or type 2 diabetes. So why, why aren't we voicing that? Why aren't we prioritizing problem spots as opposed to impacting yeah. all of society? Dr. Quadro Kiermanting, our guest, Unapolo- Unapologetic Leadership is the book, and he's joining us on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. And I always say this, maybe ad nauseum, uh, Doc, multiple things can be true at the same time. Do we have significant anti-science rhetoric around us? You bet we do. You bet we do. Were there crackpots and cranks saying this, saying that, Bill Gates, 5G? You bet. And have we had public health, and I'll give yesterday as an example, royally botching communications, trying to scare people, trying to make it sound like a five-year-old's at the same risk as a 75-year-old. Yeah, we've had that also, and it's all wrong. And all, all I could say is, and a doctor said this to me, who we'd know, who's always on TV and radio, and he just said this to me yesterday, we deserve so much better from both sides, and we do. 100%. It just... Like this is a part of what the book is all about. Like more authenticity in our leadership. Just be upfront with folks. Yeah. Like back in the day, if we said, you know, there's a lot of data uh, masking on on like at scale, like uh, the little impact that it has when it's mandated, right? And if if public health were to come out and say, look, folks, we we we're not sure that this is going to work, but this is what we think can mitigate risk. But let's try this out. Like let's let's let's. As I said, I'm talking back in the day, of course. But well, let's try this out and see if we could we could curb some of the impacts. That's 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 being authentic. Mm-hmm. It's being real with people. It's not yeah. exaggerating data and being so assertive. Because what you as a public health, the last yeah. thing you want to lose is trust. Because when you need people to listen, and then they're going to second guess you because of the the past. That's when that's when things become ominous. I got ninety seconds for you here, but it's such an. I want to let you stretch it out. You're you're a black man living in Canada, and you knew you knew that at times in the black community they might struggle with vaccine uptake. They might struggle with buying in. So probably when you've seen bad communication, when you've seen lack of accountability, it it, it must make you want to throw things across the room because you know how it could land in the black community. There's going to be there's going to be trust breached. How did you wrote about it? How did you feel at the time when you saw it happening in real time? Oh, it was uh, one of the aspects, Greg, where I just really felt like I needed to be a voice and wherever I had where people were listening, whether it was at you know, municipal, provincial level, whatever it might be to tell folks like, be patient with this population and, and really think about how you're communicating. There's a historical mistrust. So do not force it down their throats. Be patient. Listen to their concerns. Be a true, like, lead with p- compassion yeah. instead of you know, bashing it down people's throat. And this is, you know, the, an aspect of the pandemic for sure. When it came to the kids and when it came to racialized communities where it just, you just felt the need to step up and, and uh, hopefully uh, we, we did some good there. The book is Unapologetic Leadership. Dr. Quadro Kiermanting, I, I hope you can visit sometime in the summer. We'll talk more about the book. I hope when you write a second book, it'll it'll document more about us discovering each other and our relationship flourishing. But that's for I, that's for another day. That'll be the forward. That'll, that'll be the forward. I'm friend. happy to handle your forward. Absolutely. I, I can use big words with the best of them and say them over and over again. Thank you for the time today. Congratulations on the book. Thanks for being uh, on our show as frequently as you were during those during those tougher times. That's for sure. 
Really appreciate it, Greg. Thanks so much. Dr. Quattro Kira Manting, our guest. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. So there has been a man arrested uh, by Toronto police um, for not just an abusive moment, uh, but obviously um, abuse involving race, abuse involving sex and gender, all of it. Uh, He'll appear in court, by the way, about two hours from now. Um, And his name is Paul Sampalian. I don't know where this goes from here. He's been charged with one count each of mischief, intimidation, causing a disturbance. It'll get into a more complex question about how you how you police language, like how what's a teachable moment and what should actually be punished. This was pretty bad. There's no doubt about it. We watched it in our house last night and uh, I wanted my kids to see it. I, I do that from time to time. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's out there. Jamal Myers is, of course, the uh, TTC board chair and a city councillor for Scarborough North, and he joins us now on Toronto Today. Thanks for making the time for us on this issue. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me, Greg. Uh, we had Stuart Green on last hour. I'll tell you what, um, the driver, I, look, I, I, I feel the empathy anyway, but I'm awfully impressed. She finished her shift. Um, I know she took a couple days off. Uh, she's only been on the job 10 months. But clearly, we'd agree uh, she went through something nobody at their work should ever have to go through. No, uh, what we all went witnessed was a traumatic assault on someone. Uh, it was racially motivated. It was, you know, there was misogyny involved. It was disgusting. Uh, I watched, you know, parts of the video too, and I just I could not believe that I was watching this happening in Toronto in 2023. I don't know if there's a layer of you being more disturbed because the guy videotaped it himself and then posted it himself. Again, we all we all like to think, oh, I don't want someone to catch me in my worst moment. But I bet you your worst moment, my worst moment, 99% of our listeners' worst moment is not that guy's worst moment. And he thought it was a good idea to send out into the public. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it. you know, unfortunately, assault against our operators and TTC employees in general are up. And the fact that this guy thought it was okay to tape this and post it to his social media means that he didn't consider this a crime, perhaps. He just thought he was doing this for likes or views or whatever. And it really just goes to show you just the brazen nature of this assault. What's the um, protocol now that it's in the hands of the police, Jamal? And, And the only thing I worry about for the driver is... Does the driver get a say in any of this? I, I don't want her to have to relive it. Uh, if she doesn't want to, I wouldn't want her to have to testify if she doesn't want to. Where does that stand? And, and what does the TTC do in terms of protecting her as an employee f- from just doing something she may not want to want to advocate for? So I can't comment on the police process because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not really familiar with that. I can say that uh, the driver was operated, uh, offered a different route. Um, and that she was offered counseling and support services from the TTC. Um, as part of my job as board chair, I will be reviewing the incident to make sure that the TTC followed our protocols. I understand there were some gaps between when the first 911 call or the call to site supervisors were made and no help actually being received. And this incident was prolonged over 30 minutes. This wasn't a five-minute incident. This was 30 minutes. So I want to know why there were these gaps and why there was no one available to go to her assistance. Again, you said she was on training. She's a relatively new operator. And, you know, I could just say I was very, very proud of how she handled this. Uh, it's unfortunate that she had to go through this, but this is a type of caliber that TTC handles. 
Um, and, it, you know, we're all very proud for her, and we, we hope that she has a good and long career at the TTC. So I think you're making the point, too, which is worth, uh, you know, clarifying, um, is that in a moment like this, I guess it's pretty awful, but it could have been violent. There could have been a weapon involved. There could have been people in danger, and you need a quicker response from law enforcement. Exactly, and not just against the operator. There, are, The bus was full of people. The reason this individual was able to get on the bus was because individuals on the bus, after, I guess, a certain number of minutes, wanted to be let off. Once they were let off, he then boarded the bus and still was, uh, you know, violently, um, you know, yelling, yelling at this uh, operator. So this could have been much, much worse. So we'd need a full review um, as to what happened and whether or not the appropriate protocols were followed. Last thing for you, what is the, uh, there's obviously training involved, but from what you know on your file, what does a driver, what is a subway operator, what are things they look for to say, I can't let you on my bus right now because I, I think it's harder to be discretionary. If you owe, if you run a bar, a bouncer can say you're not coming in. A variety store owner can say things like, hey, only so many students in at a time. They've got that discretion with private business. What does a TTC driver have? I can't really comment on that. Um, but from what I understand, um, there is more than the, the, what was shown in this video. So obviously this, driver had to make a judgment call for not only her safety, but the safety of the TTC riders. Um, and she made the right one by not letting this individual on the bus. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, and, you know, as you said, this individual will be arraigned later today. Jamal, thanks for uh, filling in some of the gaps here. And I appreciate you coming on the show as I always do. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Greg. You bet. Jamal Myers, Toronto City Councilor for Scarborough North. He's also TTC board chair. Because, again, it, it is a public place. And you say, well, I pay my money. The guy's making case. I'm a taxpayer. I can get on. It raises a question. And I want to know whether you think we can police language. I think something should happen here. And there are three charges. But how far do we go with language and anger? You see it and I see it. We told you the story of Anthony Fury getting his car attacked on Friday night. And even he said, what's the point of calling the police? He's in his car with his wife, with his three kids. Guy starts banging on his window, pounding the exterior of the car. It doesn't sound like there was damage. But at the same time, he's like, what's the point? They'll just say, yeah, I dealt with that individual already. What do you want me to do? Here's a case where police got involved. And it's only language. Now, she may have felt threatened. We've all been in those moments. I think a lot of us have been in those moments recently. I told you about the story walking to Nathan Phillips Square at five in the morning. I wake a guy up with my stupid loud voice and the guy's ready to go. He pops right up. He's ready to go. And he's 20 feet away from me. And he's he's steaming mad because I've woken him up and he's sleeping outside City Hall. Ironic, isn't it, that we're, we elected the mayor the night before. He's outside sleeping, and he's some kind of pissed off at me. And I don't know what he's going to do. And I don't know whether I can – again, you ask yourself two questions always. And probably women ask this too. Can I handle myself alone in this situation? Do I have to drop anything I'm carrying? And can I outrun that person? Bingo. You're, you're thinking all three of those things at the same time. But I want to know from you how we police language. How do we do that? The TTC called police on this guy, and they probably should have because it raised to such a temperature that you don't know whether he's going to attack somebody or not. He didn't. You don't know whether he has a weapon or not. He didn't. But 
what's the what's the fallout here? Losing your job, not being able to find another job anytime soon. You might say that's okay. Is this guy's wife going to leave him, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. What are those parameters here? We got a lot of angry people out there. I think we can agree on that. So when that anger, really bad anger, racist anger, sexist anger unleashes, again, 99% of us wouldn't use the words. 99% of us would keep would count to 10 and keep a cooler head. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. Today, 8.30 a.m., the United States update their inflation numbers. Um, the annual inflation rate for the U.S. was 3.2% for uh, the 12 months that ended in July. They announced that last month. We're sitting at 3.3. These are much better days than they were. I know you're not feeling it at the grocery store and at a few other spots, um, but they matter. And inflation numbers seem to be the only thing that sort of dictates where interest rates go. And I know you care a lot more about interest rates than you do about inflation. But that's why we document the interconnection. 830 this morning, um, there will be an update on inflation. Dr. Eric Cam is, of course, a TMU University economics professor. You often hear him on the Roy Green show on Saturday and Sunday right here on 640 Toronto and across the Chorus Radio Network. And he's often on with us on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Thanks for doing this. It's always a pleasure. Um, there's big speculation on those inflation numbers in the states. If we get a notably lower number, that inflation rate drops to a 2.7 or 2.8. Is that good news for Canada? Well, it's very good news. I mean, the reality is some Canadians don't like to hear it, but there's nothing that happens south of us that doesn't affect us. So we are really hoping that they have a nice low number which triggers that their price level is falling and stabilizing, which can only mean that ours tends to follow. They're a large open economy, Greg. We're a small open economy. And as they go, we tend to follow. So yeah, it would be really good news. And not just in the actual, but in the perceived. Expectations mean a lot right now. And if Canadians see that the Americans are gaining some price stability, I think it'll actually go right into the system and people will build into their expectations that we're starting to do better in Canada which really at this time can't hurt with all of the instability there's been for the last few months. I lament that I haven't been to the States recently to kind of walk up and down. I love going to grocery stores there. Uh, I love pumping gas and I love getting groceries there because it always feels like you're getting, even with a lousy exchange rate, feels like you're getting a bit more of a deal than in Canada. But I have had people tell me, nah, food inflation is, if that's global. That certainly is global right now. So the inflation rate dropping really hasn't dinged those big essential items like food and gas. And that's the problem. And that's kind of the game that the government's playing right now in both countries is there's lots and lots of ways to state inflation figures and they give you raw inflation, core inflation. There's a few different ways that they can spin it to look better. And they start to tell you that things are falling quicker than they really are because they leave out things like food and fuel. And I've never understood exactly why they do this when these are the things that people need to have the best information in terms of feeding and housing their families. And you make a good point, although your travel habits are kind of odd. But <laughs> when I was in New York a month ago, I noticed that prices are still very high, both at grocery stores both in restaurants. And this is the really, this is the core issue. And you've hit it. You can tell people all you want that prices are falling across the economy. But until they see it affect their disposable income and the money coming out of their wallet, they're not going to buy it. And you're right. Grocery stores, gas, 
fuel, all of these things, they haven't really come down significantly. And until they do, you're not going to be able to convince people that their lives are getting better. Dr. Cam joining us, TMU University economics professor, always makes us smarter when we talk to him. I sort of hesitate now, especially on uh, job reports. When I hear, well, we'll get job numbers today. Oh, look, all these jobs were created. Does that mean anything in uh, Toronto and on uh, Toronto economy and Ontario economy? Your daughter, my son could have a full-time job making 30 grand a year to start. They can't buy anything. So they'll they'll count as a full-time job like yours, mine, or many of our listeners, but they really can't contribute to the economy. So does it mean anything to increase jobs when the jobs don't pay for anything? Not if you're increasing those types of jobs. And you've really struck on the number one problem in economics today is that as we came out of the pandemic and we went through rapid inflation, we kept saying that it hasn't hit the labor market yet. Thank mm-hmm. heaven it hasn't affected the labor market. Well, guess what? If you look at statistics in both Canada and the United States now, job hires are basically flat and trending downwards. So I fear that now is the time that these price increases are going to make their way down through the labor market. The demand for labor is down, significantly down. And we know that as the labor market goes, the economy goes. And so my biggest concern right now is two things. Number one, job starts. There are none. Number two, four out of five mortgages in Canada, 80% have not been renegotiated since the interest rate increases. And I fear when you put these things together, the only place we're heading for is a recession, Greg. Present state of the housing market. Um, we had Ron Butler on yesterday, also smart dude. How uh, he's he's quite worried about it. He's worried that not only can you not get the value that you put into your home because uh, even though prices have dropped, but but you'll still have to buy somewhere else. So it doesn't make it economically frugal. And then there's the interest rates to to buy, and that comes down to renters as well. Like nobody's winning right now. Is my point. No, nobody's winning right now. And one, I spoke to a housing person who's an investor, and I asked for their honest opinion. And they said, and I quote, there is going to be blood on the streets if that interest rate goes up even another 0.25. And we know that there's two more interest rate meetings before this year is over. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if it goes up another 0.25 because the Bank of Canada realizes that in their mind for what they're trying to do, they're having success with this policy. Unfortunately, success to them means price stability and watching interest rates come down. What it doesn't mean to the people having to renegotiate these mortgages is anything other than disaster. You're going to see people with mortgages double. I mean, can you imagine having your mortgage just exogenously double? Well, you don't have to imagine it because it's going to happen. Now, it won't be all 80%, but a good chunk of these people are going to see their mortgages go up 40, 50, 60%. And is that tenable? Does it mean there's going to be a ton of houses that flood the market? Well, then you say maybe the price of houses will go down. Well, I hate to tell you, with immigration in this country the way it is, and I'm not judging it, yeah. prices are not going to go down because there's still a lot of people wanting to buy houses in the GTA. What is an ideal? If you could say, I'll give this country, I'll come down from Mount Olympus and I'll give this country economic stability, what's the interest rate you would set? Is that too a good target? We shouldn't probably go back to uh, to 0% interest on cars or 1.25% interest on houses, should we? No, I like what's called an interest rate band. I wouldn't mind it being somewhere between 2 and 3%. And so for the record, mm. do I mind what the Bank of Canada has done in general? No. What I mind and what I complain about publicly on anywhere that'll listen to me is the speed at which they did it, Greg. They have the right intention, but there was no need to do it so fast. 
that have that thing moving so quickly that ends up nowhere else but on the backs of Canadians who are trying to pay their mortgages and buy food at the grocery stores. It's just been it's been a punishment and nothing less. Eric, uh, thanks so much for this. Appreciate the time. Stay healthy, Greg. There's Dr. Eric Cam joining us from TMU. A lot, of, a lot of what he said, Ron Butler said yesterday uh, from Butler Mortgage, but it it does have some accuracy to it. And again, I it's not like jobs go in the jobs report goes in one ear and out the other, but it doesn't mean very much because what can that job buy you at the end of the day? That's part of the scenario. Toronto today with Greg Brady weekdays at five thirty. We are six forty Toronto. Two things that I spotted yesterday. One was the release of a new Moderna vaccine. I saw that, that that was happening and, uh, and that uh, we've approved a new Moderna vaccine by health Canada to, to cover a, one of the sub variants for Omicron provinces are going to get that in early October. And just like, I would never tell you not to take something. I would not tell you to take it either. That's not the job. That's not the responsibility, and, uh, and and that's not where times are at right now either. But I did the digging with five doctors. I asked five doctors who you've seen on TV or you've heard on the radio before, and I trust all of them implicitly, and they nailed it in spring and summer of 22. So I think they have an unimpeachable record for being right about where the public is going to go. And I remember when there was, I like honestly, I don't even remember this as well as I should, there was a new booster out in the spring of, of 22. And I said, where's this going to go? And there was a new booster as well for, for kids um, getting to get and get vaccinated. And I said, how's this going to land? And they're like, won't be much uptake. Not many will use it. And so I asked about this new, and they were right. They nailed it completely. And so this comes out yesterday. And, uh, and I see some of the public health messaging. And um, these five doctors combined not one of them said that. And I said, give me an uptake between 18 and 60, because I'm willing to understand that, for example, my parents are 79 and 77. I'm not going to call them ranting and raving going, please don't get that vaccine shot. Don't get that booster because they regularly get flu shots. They never get sick. To the best of my knowledge, if we're playing this game, they've never had covid. So they're doing something right. OK, they're doing something right. I'm not going to tell them how to how to handle themselves, but they also don't want any kind of mandate for me or my kids or you or anybody else. Be your own chief medical officer of health. I said that two years ago and people are like, what? What did he say? How could he say that? But that's how I feel about it. Manage your own risk. There's enough out there and there's enough education out there to decide what to do. But bottom line is these five doctors are like, well, if people are thinking this is going to be a popular thing to do, it won't be. And two things can be true at the same time. And one of the doctors who I respect the most basically said, there's multiple things happening right now, Greg. Like there's, do we have significant anti-science rhetoric? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we sure do. And so you're called this, you're called that, anti-vaxxer this, anti-masker, anti-this and that. That's out there. That's out there. And, and I know that it is. And we also have public health in the form of one Dr. Teresa Tam royally botching communications yesterday. I have no idea what that was, but here's his quote. And this was the money shot for me. He wrote me and said, we deserve so much better. 
We deserve so much better from public health. And just pointing this out, you lose the guy I'm talking to. And do I wish he'd say it publicly? Of course I do. Of course I do. I beg him to. But he says we deserve so much better. Here's some of Teresa Tam at her news conference yesterday answering a question about why she's wearing a mask. It is a layer of protection. We hope people have developed the habit to be able to use masks as needed during the respiratory virus season, not just for COVID, but for all the other um, respiratory pathogens that will be transmitted around this time. So I do think now is the time to get your masks ready if you don't already have them. I don't think so. And to me, to me right now, it's never going on again. It's never going on again, and I'll do borderline anything to make sure it never comes close to touching my kids' faces again. They're sure never going to sit in a classroom and wear it for seven hours. So expecting everyone, again, you do you, because you should, and you have to, and I'd never tell you otherwise. But what is, and by the way, some of the people like me, get I get called, yeah, you're stupid, you're selfish, you're wrong. Now, what's wrong, selfish and stupid, is asking everyone in the world, to do something you're doing so you feel better about it because you can't manage your own anxiety about your health. I'm happy to point you in the right direction to help you with that health anxiety, but I'm not going to obstruct my breathing. I'm not going to impede my ability to communicate. I'm not going to cover my face. I did it for too many times. Nobody masked up like me for two straight years. Here's the number of lives. This is a math equation from your old friend Greg here. The number of lives that end up, how would I put it? The number of lives you can, you're allowed to restrict because of your concern and your fears, one. You. That's the number of lives you're now entitled to restrict because of your fears. It's one. It's one. And there's so much debate anyway about should you be breathing all that carbon dioxide in? Can you exercise properly? Again, I can't. <laughs> I would think so. I think if you cover your own airway, that would impede breathing. I would see that as being the case. If you've got thoughts on what I'm saying, 416-870-6400. But no, that was a public health disaster yesterday for Teresa Tam. I've heard from politicians from all three parties, by the way, who've said exactly that. And they're basically saying Health Canada is running rogue. We don't know what they're doing. And we're staying far away from it. It's political suicide to get on board with Teresa Tam and Health Canada yesterday. And is it a story? I guess I'm talking about it. But is it some kind of lead story because 4% of people will take the new vaccine? And, and by the way, yes, they might include your parents or your grandparents or my parents. They might include that. They might be in that 4%. That's one out of 25 people. They get a say. They get That counts for something. Um, but no, no, this is not... <laughs> This is not any kind of revisit. We're not redoing. This is not a sequel to a popular movie. That's not what this is. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 530. We are 640 Toronto.